You're listening to Tabletop and Beyond, Guild 9 Gaming Podcast, covering board games to war games and beyond. And welcome back to Tabletop and Beyond. I am your host, Justin, and I am here with JB. Hey, what's going on? JB, how you doing today? Good, man. Good. We're unfortunately missing Dan, um, but we hope he gets back to us soon. And yeah, uh, yeah. so we are just going to be you and I today, Jason. Let's do it. All right. Uh, today's show, we are going to talk about uh, a new game to both you and I. Uh, we're going to be talking about Twilight Imperium. Yeah, one that uh, has been on the bucket list for a long time and finally was able to check that off. So I'm excited to talk about it. So spoiler alert, was it worth the wait? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. it was. It was good. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait to talk about it. But first, yeah. let's talk about Geek Week. How was your Geek Week? Good. Um, I did uh, lots of stuff, but I'll just talk about a couple. Uh, one is uh, Deep Sky Derelicts went on uh, sale on Steam okay. for like okay. five bucks. So if any of you have ever played Darkest Dungeon, um, which is kind of a turn-based uh, 2D side-scroller RPG um, that has a very like Lovecraftian feel, this uh, game is like Darkest Dungeon, but in space. Um, ah. A little bit that it has a feel and that's about where it stops actually um okay. so it has the similarities of you know you kind of are, are stepping through a 2d grid dungeon ish thing and you're instead of a dungeon you're on like derelict ships out in space searching for loot and stuff nice. um the combat mechanic is is the same in terms of turn base but different in terms of um when you equip your your team with uh, you know, like weapons and things. Those weapons bring cards, so it's essentially a digital card game. So uh. if you if you put a certain you know gun on your character, that gun will have three cards that get shuffled into that character's deck. Okay. Um, and those cards do different things. Is they'll do damage, maybe they'll do buffs or debuffs. And you can put modifications on those. Like you can put a scope on a laser. Uh, uh. You know, a long range laser. If you put that scope on, it adds an additional card into your deck that does something special about that scope. Um, and then every every time it's that player's t- or that um, teammate's turn, they draw a card from their deck. And like all these games, you know, they have different cards that create combos, and you know, cards that can buff up other players. Like you can you can make one player be able to go twice in a round and draw two cards instead of one card. Thing like that. It's, so at the end of the day, it's kind of a deck building game, uh-huh. um, but in a setting that feels much like a dungeon crawler, uh, yeah, out in space. So I really like it. It's a lot of fun. Uh, and it was five ve- bucks. And it was five bucks. And yeah. it moves really fast. It's a really fast game. It's easy to play. It is a rogue game. So, you know, when your dudes die, they're dead kind of a thing. Okay. Just like Darkest Dungeon. Um, so, but really a lot of fun. Easy to play. Easy to pick up. Easy to just sit down, play it for like five minutes, save your game, get up if you have to, which is very important in my house. Uh, <laughs> dad, dad, <laughs> yep, dad. Yep, yep dad, dad. Uh, oh, my gosh. But, uh, yeah, so I, that was fun, man. And then um, uh, last time, in between last time, my um, one of my favorite VR games is I Expect You to Die, which is like kind of like a James Bond secret spy puzzle escape room VR game. And okay. uh, so it has kind of that, it has a very Bond feeling, like even the 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 intro feels like a Bond movie. And every one of the missions, you're kind of sitting inside a room that's like an escape room. And you have to kind of, you're sitting stationary, 
Um, but you have this special thing that's like a telekinesis pa- uh, power. So you can kind of point at objects in the room and bring them closer to you and, you know, solve puzzles and find keys to kind of progress through a room until you can kind of escape it. So this game's been out for a long time. But in 2019, at the end of 2019, they released their final DLC. And I'd never, I just had never gotten around to play it. So I booted it back up and I played it. And it was really great. A lot of fun. Um, it's on the uh, Oculus Quest uh, and the Quest 2, which is out, which is, you know, we've talked about this the last couple prior podcasts, a $299 yep. uh, uh, untethered, uncorded. Oh, yeah. It's uncorded, yeah. no cords, uh, no tether, and uh, really, really good price point for getting into VR. Um, so, anyways, I expect you to die. A lot of fun. What's great about that company, Shell Games, is that all of their DLC they have released for free on this game. Oh wow, that's pretty impressive. So all these new rooms, all these new missions, they just they just give them to the community. It really makes you feel like you know they really gamers making games for gamers. You know that kind of a stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyways, that was so, my Geek Week. A lot of fun. So that title is straight from the movie Goldfinger. <laughs> yeah, James Bond, where he's like Sean Connery's like. You expect me to talk? And then the guy's like, no, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. Yeah. And then he shoots it. It's like the laser scene, you know, where he's like strapped to the table. Yeah, good times. Yeah, good times. All those older Bond movies, man. Oh, yeah. You know, it's crazy about those movies is you think Bond, and a lot of times in our generation, if you say Bond, they think, uh, what's what's Daniel Craig. Yeah, Yeah. Daniel Craig. Or uh, even... Even maybe Pierce Brosnan. Like right. my kids aren't going to think Pierce Brosnan; they're going to think Daniel Craig. Right. But uh, I mean, I grew up. It was Sean Connery. Yeah. It was, uh, and all those other dudes whose names I won't yeah. be able to pull off the top of my head. Roger but, Moore, uh, Roger Dalton. Roger Moore. There you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Which and, you know, yeah. th- there were some doldrums in the eighties. There were some weird yeah. ones. There were some weird ones. Yeah. What, um, what was the name of the super tall dude with the metal jaw? Jaw or Jaws. Yeah. Is that that was his name in the movie? Yeah, yeah Jaws. That's right. Yep. Yeah, and remember he fell in love with that little uh, that short chick yeah. in the space one. Yeah, <laughs> that was Moonraker. Moonraker. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, that was a good one. That was a good one. <laughs> yes, it was. They were well. They're all fun. Every now and yeah. then you'll see them going on sale digitally for like you know like a hundred bucks for all the Bond movies. Or yeah, something, or all the older ones. We've got a gaming friend who was playing Twilight Imperium with us this weekend, Lincoln. He's been watching all of the Bond movies before his son goes off to college. So, like from from the first one up. From the very first one, wow. just chugging through. <laughs> it's a lot. There's a lot out there. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah. Anyways, that's my Geek Week. What about you? Nice. Um. All right. So. We hit a bit of a milestone, and I think this is going to be a little bit of a preview for a future discussion, but we ended our Rogue Trader campaign uh, about did. a week and a half ago. So um, that was great. I, th- I had a good time with Rogue Trader. I know I, in previous podcasts we talked about, like, uh, do I love it? Do I, you know? I think mm-hmm. it took me a little while to really kind of get into it and really get a feel for the mechanics. We worked through two books of it, you know? So there's, like, three adventures in each book. And, oh wow! Um, so we went through like six adventures. Yeah, we went through six adventures. Okay, and, cool. And um, a couple homebrew ones as well. Um, nice. That I, you know, had thrown in there. Yeah. So we we probably worked through about ten ten adventures. You know. Very cool. Um, that we had. So that was uh, it was fun. It was good. Um, I think that we are going to probably do a rogue trader review, like in depth, and just kind of talk about the mechanics a little bit more. 
yeah. in a future podcast, so I'm not going to get into that right now. But suffice it to say, our campaign is over, and we have moved on. We are going to start the Icewind Dale Rhyme of the Frost Maiden campaign in D&D. And, yeah, uh, we were going to we, – we were it was either that or we were going to do Dresden Files. Yeah, and you know what? I think after we get done with this uh, Frost Maiden campaign – um, I think Dresden Files should be on the on the docket for us. It should. It's funny yeah. though, because you know, it's like the at the pace that we, you know, we've all got families and yeah. jobs and stuff. At the play, at the pace that we game, like by the time we get done with Icewind Dale, like could potentially be like another half of a year. <laughs> oh by. yeah, easily, easily. <laughs> I, you but, know, it, what's interesting is I was going through the book, and I don't think that um, it's as dense as Out of the Abyss was. I did the best. There's a lot in there. There was. We've talked and you we've know. talked about it before. I, I, that's probably refreshing, and that it's not as uh, yeah, gives you a little more freedom. As, yeah, I think that if we're gaming once a month, we could probably finish the book in a year. I mean, that's twelve sessions. Yeah, you know, that's true. Maybe eh. maybe not even that long. So we'll see. It'll be good. I will say this. Um, I think we're gonna need a D and D Beyond 2.0 um conversation because. I did sign up for the subscription, so I am getting a good look at like what that does and how it's working. Mm-hmm. And I gotta say, I'm I'm really impressed with it. I've always been impressed when I've gotten on D and D Beyond and the accessibility that it provides at your fingertips. Well, now especially, you know, it, the nice thing is that uh, when this when D and D Beyond came out a long time ago, I signed up for the Founders Pack, and I you know I spent like $175 or something because they were selling all of their source material books, including all the adventures that they had mm-hmm. at the time for 5e for like $170 or something like that, which was incredible. You know what I mean? Like I couldn't yeah. buy if I tried to buy that physical copy, it was like double the price. So I'm like, might as well get it. Sure, let's do it. You know, and this is when I was thinking I was going to run more D&D myself. Um, and before we really jumped into Shadow of the Demon Lord as well. So anyway, I got all of that stuff. And so now with the subscription, being able to share the content with all the players, um, it's really cool to take this for a real, a real test drive and see how integrated it can be with your campaign when you do have a lot of the source materials. Mm-hmm. You know, because I'm seeing some cool combinations that everybody's coming up with with their characters. Um, that they're pulling out because they can pull from, you know, uh, other compendiums. They can pull from, you know, um, not just a player's guide, but they're pulling from, uh, you know, like the um, Xanathos Guide to Everything or whatever it's called, you know. Yeah, all I mean, those like, supplements. Yeah, all the supplements. So it, it's really cool to see that. Um, I was messing around with it today, and if you pull up the digital sheet, if you're playing digitally, I realize that you can click on the two hit buttons and it'll automatically roll a dice on screen for you. No, uh, yeah, I and do all the that. math. It does all the math. So you're like, oh, I need to hit with my sword. You click your little sword thing and it'll roll the dice and do all the math and be like, here you go, here's your number. I'm like, oh wow, that was sweet. And then like the initiative, click that, boom, you got your initiative. You know, so um, it's pretty it's pretty integrated. I can't wait for the day when they, you know, integrate some other things. But that'll be another conversation for D&D Beyond 2.0. Suffice this to say, we're moving on to D&D, and I'm really impressed with the D&D Beyond stuff right now. So that's cool. pretty cool. I tell you, I'm, I think it's very neat and convenient 
those dice rollers. Yep. But I, I, even when we play online and digitally, I still roll the dice in front of you me. You know, and, and I think uh, uh, one of our fellow players, Mike, um, was saying that too. He's like, I really don't like that. And you know what? That's great. But I'm going to tell you as a GM, if I've got like four monsters that are doing oh, it and I can you, just hit yeah. roll, 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 oh, you know yeah. what I mean? Then like, please, you know, because. Um, Does it uh, hide the rolls from the players? Yes. It's only, it only shows it on your screen, essentially. Okay. That's good because I tell you, as a GM, there are so many times when you pull punches. You've got like to sometimes. Oh yeah, you got to roll that. Ooh, twenty. Uh, yeah, he only hit you for like two. Yeah, right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> fudge it a little bit, and sometimes yeah. you got to fudge it the other way. If you're having a bad night, like it's no fun if the monsters aren't oh, hitting, yeah. hitting the it's players. It's all about at all, epic right? storytelling. Yeah, exactly. So, speaking of epic storytelling, the other thing in my Geek Week that I want to talk about is I finished Lovecraft Country uh, about a week and a half ago. So we got yeah, to I, I saw the 10. first episode. That's all I've seen. What did you think of it? Um, so I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the first episode. Uh, I had already, you had already told me a little bit about it before. Yeah. Uh, and the only reason I, I saw the first, I don't have HBO uh, Go or whatever it is, but uh, oh, right. the first episode is free, right? Um, oh, okay, okay. So that's why I watched it. But I enjoyed it. I thought, um, I thought uh, the characters were interesting. Yeah. Um, they were unique. It wasn't just like a hodgepodge of cardboard characters in the show. I thought they yep. all had a little bit of a flavor to them, right? And yep. I think that the first episode ended in a lot of uh, it was thrilling, right? Yeah. It was it was slow at first. I'll tell you that it was kind of like eh, okay, yep. but that's okay. I understood we're getting some background, some backdrop, and then man, when it hit the fan, it hit the fan. It did, and it was pretty epic. Um, I'm going to say that the entire show, and I'm, I'm not going to get into too many, I'm not going to get into any spoilers, but this is just kind of my review of the show, um, you know, w- without us really getting into it. Um, I think that the whole show was like that. There are times where you're like, oh my gosh, this is so slow right now. It really needs to pick up. And then there are times where you're just like, what is happening? I can't get enough of this. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And um, I Did don't it know continue if- to explore the themes of racism? Yes. Oh my gosh. Almost too much. Almost okay. too much. Um, so here's the here's the interesting thing. Um, it's it's set in the 1960s, right? Yeah. And I think and, and because it deals primarily with black characters and from their perspective, you have to have elements of them exploring what racism is and what. Oh that yeah, in that time right? period. Absolutely. You have to in that time period, and I and I welcomed that, and I thought it was good. What was interesting is they were almost injecting modern themes of racism into that time period, though. Hmm, interesting. And I don't know if it worked that well. I don't know if it it, pu- it pulled it off. Like it, it kept pulling me out of the element a little bit. You know what I mean? Because there was just there's almost like modern um, catchphrases or keywords uh, that like okay. they were putting yeah. in there that you're just like okay things that maybe weren't right for the time period. Right. And so um, because they were pushing on on modern ideas of racism so hard, it kept pulling me out of the um, idea that, like, this is taking place. You know what I mean? It kept pulling me out of the moment. And um, I thought that when the story focused on the Lovecraftian elements and the characters themselves the show shined like a beacon. It was mm-hmm. so good. And then when they tried to get too big with their themes, that's where the show kind of drug on a little too much and slowed way down and kind of yeah. tripped over itself. I tell you, I did like, um, 
I did like the at least in the first episode, the only one I've seen, right? They yeah. did touch on things that were appropriate for the time period, you know, like sundown towns. Yeah. Uh and the issues with those and, you know, with our country and these are all things that you know we've known, we've explored in other forms of literature. It was and you know it's you got to be careful I say it right to say that it but it was um it was interesting that the show has combined that theme and the importance of discussing that theme through history yeah. with Lovecraft horror. Right. <laughs> right. Absolutely. That's what makes it unique I think from anything else I've seen before. Yeah, definitely. And and to be honest with you, I don't know um I know this was like adapted from a book. Um, yeah, we talked so, about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so I don't know how much of the story that HBO had was from the book. I think that a lot of the broad brush and plot points was all straight lifted from the book. But some of the elements of the characters, and again, some of the modern themes of like you know racism and, and race relations mm -hmm. and things like that, were felt definitely kind of shoehorned in. And I wonder if that was like. Well, it didn't work. In, like they wanted to add a little bit more than what the book was telling because it felt like the sun, the ideas of sundown towns, and you know, like the um, what do they call it? Like the Negroes travel guide, safe travel guide is what they were yeah. working on, so that mm -hmm. they have like you know that that black people could move from area to area and stop at safe places to eat lunch or safe places to stay right. for the night, and like that's kind of like the whole premise of them traveling, and um, like those elements felt totally. Um, ingrained in the story and an absolute building block and foundation of the story. And then there's other parts that felt just shoehorned a little bit, you know? Hmm, so interesting. it was interesting. Um, I, I, the love, again, the Lovecraftian elements of it, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I can't get enough of it. And it's awesome. And they did a great job with it. And, um, but the, I thought that the pacing was a little stutterish hmm, too. Okay. Interesting. You know? So it was good. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it better than raised by wolves. Which yeah, was the other one. Yeah, I remember you were talking about that last time, the Raised by Wolves one, which was, uh, I guess, what we have heard might be a potential predecessor to the Aliens franchise. Yeah, I mean, Ridley Scott did it too, so that kind of yeah. also gives a clue, right? Mm -hmm. So Yeah, I, I'm debating on uh, paying for a month of HBO just to binge these just things, binge these them. shows, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it might, it, it's probably worth it. There's a, there's a good... Um, just have There's to remember a... to cancel the subscription. Yeah, exactly. My, my wife's good at that, right? Do we have a stars membership? Uh, we sh we shouldn't. I stopped that a few months ago. Oh, did we? <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So I've got a lot of other stuff for Geek Week, but those were the big ones for me. Cool. So yeah, it was uh, it was it was good. I mean, we've had kind of two weeks since we recorded. Right. Right. So uh, there's a lot of stuff that I did, but you know what? Those were the major major points, I think. Cool, man. Always always stuff to do. Yeah, yeah, lots of good stuff. Uh, let's talk about some uh, geek news here. Uh, one of the things I stumbled across the other day was um, I was going to Fantasy Flight Games, actually in preparation for our Twilight Imperium game that we had on Saturday. And as soon as I pulled up the homepage, I was accosted on my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was uh descent legends in the dark so at first i'm like oh wow is third edition out already no this is not third edition this is a um a dungeon crawling board game and they, they call it, they say announcing the definitive dungeon crawling board game but what this is is it's not first edition 
It's not second edition, and it's not third edition. It is its own standalone game, but it's very much like Lord of the Rings uh, Journeys in Middle-Earth. Where so it's uh, like digitally controlled? Digitally controlled. The AI is controlled digitally. And you lay out the tiles according to the thing, you know. It's almost exactly the same game with a with a descent skin on it. Mm. Okay. So, I mean, the Lord of the Rings game was fun. It was a lot of fun, a lot of fun. So if you're interested in descent, um, this might be for you. The interesting thing about this though is that your current descent game doesn't work with this format. Like you have to buy the new game. Um, it's not available right now. It's interesting that they're, I think it's like getting ready for pre-orders and stuff like that, but it's $175, which is Ooh, kind of a steep that's price. That's steep. Yeah. Especially if half the game is digital. Yeah. It's kind of a steep price. You do get a bunch of minis, obviously, because you are playing the physical game in front of you. Right. Right. So you get, uh, let's see, six hero characters. And then um, there might be a bonus character, depending on like how orders go. And then um, there are... It's probably a bunch of terrain and like cardboard there's terrain. Tile, yeah, like... there's cardboard tiles and markers and things like that. There's a couple mini markers for like treasure and things like that. Um, there are uh, 11 types of enemies. So what that means is like, for example... There's one giant hybrid centurion, but there's three wolves. You know, there's four bandits. There's two golems. Uh-huh. Um, but there's 11 different types, and most of them have anywhere between two and four minis for each type. So you are probably getting um, about 50 miniatures in there, you know. Um, but still, I think 175 is real steep. Real steep, especially when Descent 3rd Edition is, is like right around the corner. What's the um? Remind me what the name of the Lord of the Rings digital game is again. Uh, Journeys in Middle Earth. Yeah, and so how much does that one run? Uh, that's a good question. Let's find out real quick. Hold on. So, uh, $100 bucks. Hundred dollars. Does that one? I don't think that one has minis though. I think they're like tokens. Um, I thought the main characters were minis. Maybe the main bad guys. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But the world map was tokens, I think. Like everything that was represented on the world map. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean... 60 minutes. I don't know, man. Uh, maybe I, maybe you just get a lot more stuff in the other one. You could. The one. You could. Um, but, I mean, maybe, it seems like you maybe could... Maybe the app is a little bit better. Maybe there's more replayability. Now, granted, um, the, Lord, the base Lord of the Rings game is like $100, but there's also... Um, a couple of expansions. So maybe the Descent already has a bunch of expansions built into it. Right. Well, there's the, yeah. You and know? there's the game map. The, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, you know, this is the Fantasy Flight. They they make good quality stuff. Yeah. Um, and they make lots and lots of tokens and stuff for their games. Well, exactly. And uh, if you've been around FFG for any period of time, you'll realize that they reskin everything. Yeah. Right. So there's there's if there's a very popular game, they'll reskin it for Lord of the Rings. They'll reskin it for Descent. They'll reskin it for Doctor Who or something yeah. like that. So, um, you know, if you've got Lord of the Rings, Journeys in Middle Earth, I would not go for the Descent game because it's essentially the same game. You know. Yeah. Well, um, hopefully, um, you know, uh, 
assuming that uh, the world can can get control of the pandemic, maybe yeah, there will be true. you know conventions next year, and we can kind of go and try some of these things out. Actually, this would be a fun game to play at the convention. I think. Yeah, right. It'd be exactly. a blast. Uh, all right, so the other big piece of news, uh, or another big piece of news, is that, uh, are you ready for this Friday, Jay? Mm-hmm. The Mandalorian oh, yeah. Season 2? Yes, sir. I kind of feel like two. doing a rewatch, but I don't know if I have enough time at this point. Um, Because my family's going to want to watch dude? it with me. You don't, oh, okay, all right, well, that's yeah. different. I was going to say, you have plenty of time, because you I, don't sleep. Yes, that's true. <laughs> We've already established that. <laughs> yes. Yes. In fact, my wife, uh, before I came down for the podcast, she's like, you're not allowed to watch or play anything after your podcast. Oh. And I said, why? And she said, because you need to sleep. And I said, oh, you're probably okay. right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, let's keep this PG-13, Justin. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, no, she's already asleep. She's already okay. asleep. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, another big piece of news. Uh, Shadow of the Demon Lord. We did a review a couple podcasts back. They have a deal out on the Bundle of Holding, which is kind of a subsidiary of Humble Bundle. Um, the Bundle of Holding is kind of more for RPGs, RPG systems that they put out there. And again, the, a lot of the proceeds go to pay for charity. Um, and I think that, I can't remember which one Rob Schwab put up. It was a pretty um, good one. He announced it just the Let's other day. see, Demon Lord, Le- no, Shadow of the Demon. Oh yeah, so he's got two of them up there. There's yeah. the uh, so there's exquisite two. as any terrible beauty. Yeah, so there's two of them. First one is uh, Shadow of the Demon Lord, and it's got the base game plus a bunch of supplements. If you pay twenty bucks right now, you get the base game and pretty much all the major supplements that you have. Mm-hmm. I mean, retail, you're talking that there's probably at least a hundred and a hundred dollars worth of material in there. If you were just to get the PDFs off of Drive Through RPG, a hundred dollars worth of stuff in there. Yeah, this is all good stuff. I mean, it's really good stuff. Like, um, especially the um, the Uncertain Faith was great. You used oh yeah, that, that was a, a great priest. one. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the one. Um, the Demon Lord's Companion's not bad. Yeah, the Demon Lord's Companion is is pretty good. And uh, let's see, a Glorious Death is a great one. That is the one with all the Jotuns, like in the Frozen Worlds. Yeah. Uh, let's see the tombs of desolation. Like that's a great, um, yeah. Adventure. Agony. Yeah. Yeah. Hunger in the void is so good. So good. That deals with all of like demon stuff. So all of your crazy demons that could come out and, um, and it reveals some pretty amazing backstory on how religion came to be in the land of rule. Is that so. in that one or is that an exquisite agony? Uh, that's, it's in the hunger and the void. Okay. Yeah. It came out. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really, really good. It's all about the demon Lord and like kind of what he, like what he's doing. Not for the faint of heart. Any of this. No, no, it's really good. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that's, that's great. Um, and that's again, $20. And then they have the demon Lord legacies. And what's cool about this one is it's a lot of his, um, Man, I want to say DLC, but that's not right because it's not DLC. It's it's really kind of like the extra content that came out after the core stuff. So you have the occult philosophy that you can get. There's yeah. the Queen of Gold, which is like a, another like a mission mission pack that'll take you from level one to ten. You know, mm-hmm. um, but you get like 
Poison Pages, Passive Shadow, Monstrous Pages. These are all like little one to two page supplements that really add a lot of depth to characters, to area regions that you're playing, to um, ancestries that you're doing, to monsters that you're going to use. And, uh, you know, there's always a, some great lore that's in there. And then there's always like a couple of bad guys. There's a couple of character creation tips and things that you can do. And it's just a lot of great flavor. Um, each one of those is like a buck or two, right, on drive through RPG. But you, again, you can get all of this stuff for $20 out of the gate. So $40 to pay for everything. You may say, oh my gosh, that's a lot of money. You would have almost the entire Shadow of the Demon Lord compendium. Yeah, that's pretty good for 40 bucks. Yeah, it's great. And I, I, I can't recommend it enough. There's 14 days left, so we'll definitely have this podcast out for people to dig into it. I, it's, it's, it's fantastic. Fantastic. There's a lot of stuff in here that I don't have, but there's also a lot of stuff that I do have. So. Yeah, if you like high fantasy and horror, it's a great setting. Yeah, fantastic. All right. Uh, the last thing I want to talk about for our news is that Games Workshop has, in my opinion, two major new releases that are coming out. There's a lot of other releases. And so if you want more information on the releases, go to the Warhammer community page. And on the front page, it tells you all the time which, which new releases. But the two major ones that are coming out, first one is for 40K. And they're releasing the um, Death Watch and... Um, oh, gosh, I'm going to totally mess this up. <laughs> It's the Death Watch Codex and the other Codex. What is it? I can't believe I just totally blanked on it. But anyway, there's two Codexes um, that are releasing right now. And um, the cool thing about it is that, um, uh, again, they're updating it with the 9th edition rules. But more importantly, in my opinion, is that they're releasing what are um, – they're kind of getting away with the starter boxes – um as, as they're called like um you know start collecting that's what mm -hmm. like those big start collecting boxes are and you would get a mishmash uh, i think it was mostly based on price point you know like okay this is roughly worth 90 dollars worth of models plus a big thing that will throw in for free if you get the collection you know and so like sometimes a box would have um, you know, like your starting collecting box for Flesh Eaters Courts had a ton of models in it, right? Yeah, there was and, it was a lot. You did like a start collecting box for like um Caradron Overlords and there's hardly anything in there, you mm -hmm. know, because it's it's the way that they the models were actually priced. Um so the interesting thing with this forty K box, starter box that they have coming out that's you know, um coinciding with the releases of the um codexes is that uh, they are combat patrol boxes, so it adds up to 500 points. Um, so they based it on points rather than cost of the models. So you hmm. buy that, and um, you have a 500-point army that is ready for the table. And I think that that's such a great thing, in my opinion. Yeah, it'll make it easier for people to be like, how do I start? Yeah. And, and how many points do I have? Like, you know mm -hmm. exactly you've got 500 points. If, um, right, because yeah. you can always modify the points by what weapons you bring. Sure. That kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's it's really interesting because um, the way that, for, for those not familiar with how, you know, 40K and Age of Sigmar work, 
whenever you go to play an opponent, you can say, oh, we're just going to play open and just kind of fill whatever models you have. But the problem is, is you're not going to get a very balanced game that way. You know, somebody can mm -hmm. bring some big heavy units that will just wipe out the rest of your smaller units, you know, and it just doesn't work out very well. So the best way to measure um, uh, equality is through points. And you just kind of add up what points you're bringing and things like that. So if you say, hey, let's play a 500-point game, let's play a 1,000-point game, um, you can do that. And I think if you said, all right, well, let me get two of these start collecting or two of these combat patrol boxes, and then I've got a 1,000-point game or a 1,000-point army that I'm ready to field. And then from there, you could just add and tweak as you went along to get up to 2,000 points, which is your standard. 2,000 points is your standard tournament list. Yeah, cool. So, yeah, I think they're really cool. So it's an interesting way. I'll be interested to see if Age of Sigmar does that. Now, here's the problem. I, I will say, here's the weakness. The weakness is, what if the points change? Through a fact, through, you know, a new update to the Battle Tone, or not Battle Tones, Codexes. Like, what if the points change? And, like, all of a sudden you might have a box that's worth 800 points, or you may have a box that's worth 300 points, or something like that. Yeah, well, it'll it'll be up to the company to decide how they want to price it. Yeah, absolutely. So, anyway, that's pretty much the news I got for this week, buddy. Cool, man. Yeah, so why don't you take us off into our main topic? Yeah, so years ago, man, probably like uh, more than a decade ago, even more than that, man, almost two decades, uh, I always stumbled across these 4X games, and I would always... When I was in game stores, I would always walk by and be like, oh, let me see what kind of Space Forex games they got in here. You'd always see that Twilight Imperium, that giant box game sitting on the top shelf. Huge and box. I thought, I always want to play that game. But then you get online, you see, well, this game looks amazing. Then you see like 12-hour sessions of <laughs> people playing these right? games. Yeah. And I'd be like, oh, when am I going to find when am I going to find the time and the permission from the spouse to play that kind of a game, right? Well, that's really we it. it, right? Yeah, that's really it. And after anyways, after you've dropped 150 sources, yeah, that's the other game. thing. And then and that's what makes it hard to get, right? Because you're like, man, I really want to buy this game just to explore it. Uh, but it's 150 some, you know. And this obviously we'll get into the price right now, but yeah. it's the current edition. I think is about 120 bucks on Amazon, but 120 bucks. It's yeah. an eight to twelve hour game. And I got to find people that are willing to do that, to sit down and play that. You're running uh, into the same problems that you have with Axis and Allies. Yeah, those um, bigger games. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of some other ones that um, I can't think of many. I mean, there's, well, some com there's some computer games out there that are like that, where you could easily like play it. If you're playing against a, you know your friends, you could easily be there for you know, well, five the Civ to eight games. hours. Yeah, all yeah, the Civ exactly. games. Uh, so anyways, we said, dude, we're going to do it. So a buddy got it for his birthday. And so we said, we're putting it on the calendar. We put it on the calendar like two months out. Yeah. Yeah. So this was uh, end of, of August. Yeah. So maybe not quite yep. too, but yeah. So, and then we said, we're putting it on the calendar. We're going to, it's going to be an all day Twilight Imperium fourth edition, uh, which is the fantasy flight version came out in 2017, but uh, it's still, uh, still, still running, and yep. uh, we came down and we sat down and we played it, man. And so it's a great forex game, you know. If those who aren't familiar with what the forexes stand for, it's it's explore, expand, exploit, and exterminate. 
So basically dominating the place in front of you. And if you think of it in a space game, it's very very easy to think of. You got you're building up your empire and then you're expanding your empire out and exploring the galaxy around you and of course, you know, stomping down the other uh governments and and uh, races and factions around you. But uh, yeah, this I mean, it's it's you know, forex is synonymous with uh multiple ways to win. It doesn't have to be through combat. It doesn't have to be through just diplomacy. Yeah. You know, it's not lucky dice rolls necessarily. Me, that might be all, that all of that might be a part of the way you win, but um, if anybody is familiar with any Civ game, for example, like you could win through technology, you could win through science, you could, you know, and and there's multiple ways to do that. So where I would say um, that Twilight Imperium is a little different is that there aren't multiple ways to win. There are multiple ways to get points, but there's only one way to win, and that's to increase on the victory point track. That is very true. Right, That's very but true. Uh, but there are multiple ways to get that. However, those ways are pretty common. We'll get into you know like the secret objectives and things, but those ways are common across yeah. everybody. Yeah, to get those points. So let's talk about mechanics with this game. Um, and I thought it was very unique in terms of how you played, because uh, there's only like one time you rolled dice, and that was combat, really. Yeah, I, in you fact, know? I net my race. I never engaged in combat the entire game. Yeah, so I never, you didn't even roll I never touched any dice. the dice. Yeah. Um, I think uh, Sean, no, Sean, Sean Lutz was maybe the same way. But anyway, the point was is that like you know maybe maybe you rolled dice. The rest of the time was uh, resource management, mm-hmm. really, like managing your resources so that you could do what you needed to do. And um, so, but let's start with uh, like our term priority. How did you? And and this kind of almost fits into that initiative discussion that we had with um uh, on our podcast a couple of weeks ago yeah so, so at how, the beginning yeah at the ahead. beginning of each turn um or i guess it's probably a round at the beginning of each round i don't i don't yeah. actually remember what they called it but yeah round yeah round uh the players all one of the players is designated as the speaker mm-hmm. and they choose from was it like 10 tiles or eight. something there's eight. eight there were eight strategy actions and you say and- well yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Just a, just as a little bit of context, you can play a maximum of six players. Um, yeah, so there's always going to be two that don't get picked. Exactly. And those, uh, you know, you do special things like put resources on them to try to incentivize them getting picked next time and right, that kind of right. stuff. But those strategy actions are things like diplomacy, um, trade, uh, leadership, uh, construction. Like these strategy actions are things that allow you to do something. A little bit with a little more strength or umph behind you, yeah. Um, for that turn that you have picked that strategy action, and at the top of each one of those strategy actions is a number, and based on which one you pick is the order that you will go uh, in the game. So, like diplomacy, it yeah. was a really low one; it was like two. So, the guy who picked diplomacy is going to go second in uh, in the turn order for that round. Yeah. But like, uh, there was one called I think it was called Imperialism. Yep. Or something that one was eight so that was like you know you're gonna have to wait until everyone else is done before you do what the imperial but one boy was. did it have some potent game winning abilities yeah you know so it was such a good uh neat mechanic because based on you know you'd say you get through a whole round and you think okay next time next time this comes up i really need to focus on building some ships so i'm really going to try to grab that construction yeah. and if you got lucky when it came for your turn to pick a strategy action, you could reach out and grab that construction. That would boost you up. But 
you know, if somebody before you picked that up, then you'd have to think, okay, well, what other things do I want to do with my faction this turn? Yep. This round. But, yeah, uh, definitely. So take... it was it was great because the thing is, is yeah. you may have a plan, but uh, depending <laughs> on who the speaker though, right? was, you may end up with not your plan at all, and you just got to kind of pivot, right? Yeah. Oh, and one of the strategies was uh, politics, which would move who the speaker was for next time. So you could choose that and then choose yourself if you really needed a card, you know, or, a, you know, to be able to pick up like a turn order. Yeah. Tell us strategy. about the secondary strategies, though. Um, so this, this is what's cool is, is that turn order um, on it had a strategy, you know, that you got to use as a player. But uh, the underneath, like it was div- the card was divided into two portions. The top portion was like you have like three, two or three bullets that you got to do on your turn right and it was awesome um so like for example let's use tech uh developing technology on your you know the top primary strategic thing so this was like number seven right so i'm the seventh person that gets to go but on my turn i get to develop one technology for free and then if i spend six resources i can develop another one which Mm -hmm. that's pretty powerful like if you can develop two technologies in a turn that can be a game changer for how you how you end up playing the rest of the game yeah Um, sure but so there was my turn. Cool, two technologies. You know, if I if I played my cards right. Um, but what at the bottom it had a secondary objective that anybody at the table could choose to do. Now that secondary objective for technology was spend four resources and develop your technology, develop a technology, and so um, you got to do that. And anybody at the table could do it if they wanted to. But now. You're competing with other resources. Like every one of these cards has a secondary objective. And so I'm, I know I may need to use my resources for another one. So when that one comes up, you know, for technology, yeah. I was like, well, I got to pass on that one because I know <laughs> I really need to use the right. other one, you know. And so um, I thought it did a great job. I, that mechanic right there did a great job of making sure that everybody was a participant in everyone's turn. And everybody could still do a little bit of what they wanted on that turn. So right. like let's say I wanted to do technology, but I really needed to do uh diplomacy because I I know someone was going to invade my area and I needed to to stop that. I would just save up some resources, pick the pick the diplomacy card and then save up some resources so that whoever picked the technology card when they ran their strategy, I would be able to spend those resources to also develop technology. It would cost me a little bit more yeah. But I would still be able to develop technology at this in the same round that I'm doing diplomacy. Right, right. So it was cool like that. Yeah, yeah, and um, it 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 really lent an idea of like I didn't get screwed over. Yeah, you never felt like oh man, somebody picked my strategy card now I can't do anything this round at all. Anything this round at all. You 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 always thought okay, well that sucks. I really wanted it for X Y Z, but I could still do Y and Z. Exactly. Rather than yep. the X, you know. So, um, you know, I, I thought it was a, I thought it was a great mechanic, and it was really interesting to bounce around turns. So, like, you know, if we're sitting, you know, if we're sitting down, I may have number one, and you could be sitting across from me, and you have number two, and then it could bounce back to the guy on my right, and it could bounce across the table, you know, like guy on my right for number three, across the table for number four, and just kind of bounce around ver- on turn order based on the card versus like, okay, well, I got number one. Now it's going to go all the way around. The only time that I felt like it was bad to be like going in a circle was when the speaker was choosing the card. 
you know? Because if you were at the end of the circle, you got a choice of one of three cards instead of one yeah. of eight. But you know what? You could have rectified that by choosing the politics and, and becoming In the prior turn, time. yeah. You know, so there was a way to, to mitigate issues and things like that. So yeah. I thought that that was pretty good. That was pretty good. Uh, let's talk about resources. So this was a, like an important part of the game. Um, how did you feel about using the resources in there? I think that there, you know, we can we can treat there. There were two. There were. I will say that there were three kinds of resources. Okay. Well, maybe four. Whatever. Three ones that that I paid attention to when I was playing the game. One is when you when you expand and you actually get planets, you get their cards, and those okay. planet each planet has two different resources they they provide to you. They provide uh, a production resource, uh-huh. which is what you can kind of use as like your production currency for when you want to make ships and build other things. Or research um, technology and things yeah. like that. So yeah. So like we were talking about a minute ago, if a strategy card says you can research a technology if you spend six resources, you can pick you know, however many of your planets you need to, to add up to six amounts of production resources, and you can just flip those over, and then you, yeah. you can use that to spend it. The other uh, resource they had on there was, uh, which I guess you have it kind of listed separately, but I would argue that it is still a resource in sure. the system, is influence itself. Yep. Because you can use influence for other, um, for other uh, other types of actions and things in there, but that's what the two planets would give you: is resources and influence. The planets right. themselves directly. And to use those, both the influence and the and the uh, resources, you, you could flip. What you did is you flipped your planet over to, so it was like went from the color like side of the card. It. To yeah. exhaust the planet, and that way you knew you used it. But you could only use it for a resource or an influence if you wanted to. So you That's know, true. there's a, mm-hmm. there's an idea of scarcity there that I thought that like was really balanced, where you said, okay, I need to make a choice here. Because uh, one thing that I used a lot, and I thought that this was really what helped me ended up. Yeah, you know, spoiler alert, by the way, I won the game on Saturday. Um, but <laughs> this is the thing that helped me win was that I had so many planets that I was able to flip over re, um, yeah. influence and get more strategy tokens to take advantage of other things that were going on yeah. on the table. And so um, that influence, uh, but I had to use it at the expense of the resources. So I don't know if you saw this, but by the end of the game, my ships were kind of scarce. Like, I didn't have nearly as many because Lincoln had attacked me and somebody else had attacked me. And so, but I wasn't building. I was using those influences for those strategy tokens, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, because um, I I was balancing the resources out there. Yeah. Yeah. And the other cool thing about resources is you can get them from your planets, but there's another thing you can do. They call them uh, trade goods. Mm-hmm. And... Um, but they don't. You don't get those as just resources initially. You get them. I think they were called commodities. Yeah. And what's right? interesting is I was like, well, there's got to be a, a mechanic to just get like you get three trade goods at the beginning of your turn. Like you would think that that was how you would do it, but that's not how they did it. No. You um uh that w- if you take the trade strategy action, then yep. you can get you can refill right. your commodities. Yep. So the commodities themselves aren't worth anything. But what it, what commodities do is they're a neat mechanic where it encourages negotiation and actual, you know, over the table trade with other players. Because in order for you to turn your commodities to flip the, the chip over, the chit over to turn it into a trade good, you have to trade it with another player. So yeah. if another player has a, a, a one commodity, 
and you have one commodity, you guys can trade, and then your commodities will flip over and turn into trade goods, which can yep. be used as resources. And so and, there's a bit of yeah. negotiation that happens there to get players to trade with you to give you both a benefit. Yeah, and I mean, you can use it as like a carrot or a stick, right? Kind of, if you wanted to, yeah. you can be like, hey, because the mechanic on the trade card was basically like, not only do you get all of your commodities, but you can choose two people to totally refill theirs as well. You know, but yeah. it, essentially it's useless to them unless they trade with you, you know? And so yeah. it's it's there to really encourage trade, but I could say, uh, you weren't nice to me last turn. Jason, you get these commodities this time and we yeah. can trade, you know? Um, and so that really helps out with being able to up your technology and buy more ships and all of that stuff is having those trade goods because that's just kind of quick and dirty currency um that kind of can make up the difference once you've exhausted some planets yeah and i don't know if we just had a, a you know a good group of people around the table i know at one point i had some i had some bad news outside of the gaming that maybe got me a little ornery but <laughs> but uh with uh, my flights getting canceled but oh, uh, yeah that's right yeah i got a little i got a little ornery there for a little bit but anyway so it what it was great is i don't feel like at any part in this game people set up those virtual barriers where like, you know, if you play some adversarial games, you'll get to a point where there's so much aggro between two players that yeah. they won't they won't trade just out of spite. They're like, I'm not helping you anymore. I'm not I don't think you, you I think if you took that stance in this game, it would bite you in the butt. It would bite you. Yeah. So yeah, I think it wouldn't the game, bite them. It would bite you because there's so many yeah. more opportunities to go. This game really and and we kind of figured it out in the beginning. Once you kind of collapse in on each other, there's there's not that many tiles to begin with no. right and yeah. once you sort of collapse in on each other and there's ships in every tile like you have to be a good neighbor you know um <laughs> if you want to get some stuff yep. done and you don't have to be a good neighbor all the time but you can really end up shooting yourself in the foot if you're a bad neighbor well and the game balances itself too uh and what we'll, you know one of the things that you and i both commented on was we never felt like there was one mechanic that ruled them all there wasn't like one god mechanic in this yeah. game like yeah. combat if you can build your ships up you'll win like there were even restrictions on that you had to balance your strategy actions and your tactical actions with right. your fleet size yep you know uh because that was uh in order to increase the number, like a lot of these 4X games, you know, you can't just build ships infinitely. You have to actually increase your fleet command in order to have more ships. Yeah. And that fleet command increase is at the expense of doing strategy actions and tactical actions. Yep. Yeah. So it felt very so you, balanced. Yeah. And you'd have a pool. And I think it was turn one that we, it was eye opening after turn one. Oh, yeah. Because we had like all of these tokens. And we're like, yeah, we're moving. Yeah, we're we were all like, we did that first turn totally. We're doing, wrong. we're doing so much good stuff. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, and now you just get two to start. And you're like, but I had six before. Yeah, wait, that's not six right. actions I could do. And now I only have two. You're like, wow, you know, and then that's when, that's to me when like it really started. I had to really start thinking like, okay, there's, um, there's a scarcity of resources because you can only do it in your trade goods and you have to like find the right trading partner, right? Yeah. So there's a scarcity of trading goods. And then on top of that, there's a scarcity of action commodity. Oh, yeah. Which is your, which is your strategy tokens and your tactical tokens. Mm -hmm. And um, so the strategy tokens 
are what allowed you to play that secondary action in the strategy cards. Yeah. But your tactical ones is how you moved your pieces around the board. Moved, and, made production, fought. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, And what I liked about this is that you activated systems. You didn't activate units. So you would take your tactical token, and I would say, okay, I'm here at my home base. The tile next to me has a bunch of juicy planets that I just want to take over because a lot of production, a lot of influence there, right? So I would have to take my tactical token and put it into that system and say, that is an active system. Right, that I am going after. What that means is that I can move as many units as I want or as that I'm able to, right? I can put as many in there as I am able to. Um, I can take them from different systems if I want to, but basically it's like you're going to congregate into that system and you're going to do things. Now, you could activate to do some combat. You could activate to take over a planet. You could activate just to move into that area. You know, um, the point, or you could activate to produce some units in that area. Uh, but what I really liked is that it wasn't activating units. It was activating systems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That took Very a while to get cool. the grasp of. It did. Once you realize that, you know, hey, the, each one of these systems is, I mean, it's a freaking system. It is a large scale yeah. thing. So, you know, when you say, well, I'm just moving ships into it. And, okay, you, it's just, you know, all of the resources are going into that thing right now. And what the trick was is that you would think, you, I, we would catch ourselves saying we're going to produce ships, so we'll put our we'll put our our token into that system. We'll produce the ships, and then I'm going to move those ships out. Nope, you you can't move the ships out because you've already activated that system, right. and those ships are in the system you just produced them in. Yep. yep. So you had to think. You had to realize the game, the game moved fast, but it it moves slow at like the you know at the component level. It moves. Right. It moves a little slower. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, the turn level moved fast, and one of um, uh, yeah, we'll we'll talk. I, I have a point that we'll talk about when we uh, talk about what was great about the game. But um, one last thing I think in terms of mechanics that I want to talk about. Uh, well, let's talk about combat real quick. Combat was super easy. You had like a combat card in front of you with the list of the different ships. It had their uh, movement. It had uh, their hit value like on like what what value they would score a hit on the dice roll and then it had a, it like what carrying capacity that it could take so you know maybe a carrier carry three things you know so you could take like two fighters and a and a, and yeah. a dude to drop on a planet you know um and a bunch of them had it and then they also had some special abilities like you know sustained damage which means they actually had two hits uh, maybe they had a bombard feature, yada, yada, yada. I mean, it, you know, but it was very easy to see. It was very easy to understand. And so if I put my Dreadnought in with your cruiser, for example, uh, my Dreadnought's hitting on a 5 and your cruiser's hitting on a 7. And we would just roll off until one or the other was until dead. Until somebody died, yeah. Or unless somebody decided to retreat, right? Mm-hmm. So um, that's combat in a nutshell. It was kind of risk style um in that you roll until somebody dies in yeah it's pretty simple you know but that's all it needed to be it did not need it's to be anything complicated yeah yeah it did not need to be a warhammer style of like okay i'm rolling to hit i'm rolling to wound now you get a save now you get an after save you know what i mean like yeah <laughs> it was just one dice so it was great um yeah so once you got done with all of that round once somebody made it to the middle planet, which was called... I keep calling it, like, Megatrex Prime, but I know that's <laughs> not it. 
Megatron Prime. I don't know. <laughs> Me- Mechatrex. Yeah. The planet in the middle. Mechatrex Rex. Yeah. Something uh, like that. Something like that, yeah. That's like the Imperial planet. It's a planet in the middle. One planet to rule them all and in the darkness bind them. And uh, once you made it there, then it unlocked basically like this council where you would pull out at the end of everything. It was kind of a game within a game, right? Yeah, you'd pull out these agendas. you pull out these agendas, you'd read them, and then sometimes you would vote on them, sometimes you would abstain from them. And it was a cool mechanic, I thought, um, because you voted with the influence from your planets. So if somebody yep. had a lot of influence, they had a lot of weight to throw around, uh, more than just a uh, yes or a no. And, um, you know, the speaker got to break ties, but I thought that was going to be so rare because of the amount of influence that was on the table. Um, yeah, the so. only time that tie-breaking happened is when um, people were voting tac- tactically. Very tactically. Very yeah. tactically. Like It's like, maybe I've got 11 influence, but I'm only going to vote two because yeah. I want to see what you're going to do. Yeah, and... and- I think it- yeah, there's two agendas, and yep. so the first agenda would come out, and you would vote on it, but what if you could shoot your wad, basically, and use all your influence to vote on that to make it go your way, but then that means you had no influence for the second agenda that would come right. out. And you had no idea what that second agenda would be. It could be a great one, or it could be a crappy one. You yeah. just had to go on your best judgment of what you're going to do. Um, what did you think of the agendas? Oh, I thought they were great. I thought they made yeah. us stop and think and play kind of a mini game inside the game for a while. I thought they were great. I really enjoyed them. It was one of my favorite parts of the game. Yeah, it didn't feel um, it didn't feel shoehorned in, right? It didn't feel like it was this weird like uh, I I don't know. Did you ever play Assassin's Creed Brotherhood? Um, no. Okay, it's a fantastic game. Um, uh, but they had these mini games in there that you're just like, why am I playing this? <laughs> you know, you're like some of these mini games, you're like, ah, this doesn't work. This mm-hmm. doesn't work. This was just some guy's idea of like, hey, this is a cool, fun little mechanic. Let's throw it into a big title video game. Um, and I could easily see where, if done wrong, that this agenda portion would feel that way. But it had such an impact on the game itself for the next rounds that it felt vitally important for you to like try to make the right call. Yeah. It was like cool. I, I, really I ended liked up it. getting I ended up getting a victory point out of one of them. You did. Um, you know. Yeah, that was an interesting one. That was like you know people could vote four. If you voted four, then whoever voted and four passed, whoever voted four would get a victory point. But if you voted nay, and nay passed, whoever had voted four would lose a victory point. Right. So it presented this scenario of kind of you know bartering with people on. And there's a couple of people who are like, I don't even want to play that game. I'm going to abstain, right? So it came down to two people who, or like one person, or no, it was like two people who voted for, but they had only put a certain amount of influence in. And then Sean and I are like, let's get the victory points. You yeah. Know? So and that's we've got one. Enough, we got enough that's juice one, to do it. That's one where being the last person uh, in the circle was beneficial. And the last person was the speaker. So you knew who was going to be the last one. Yeah. Uh, you know, going into it. So. Yeah. In um, fact, that's a, that's kind of a good that while that was a fun agenda, the speaker has a definite up on that agenda. Right. Because they right. can just kind of wait and see what's going to happen. But yeah. but that's the speaker is the person who chose to pick the politics strategy card. That is true. 
yeah. Uh, yeah. Or he or was chose chosen. to give it to themselves. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Or chosen. chosen Anyways, so agendas were fun. So what what do you think was great about this game? Well, one thing we didn't. Well, talk well about time was... out, time out, time out. Actually, let's start with the cons because we want to end on it. What did you not like about this game? Well, was uh, I think anything? we got to. I think we got to back up real quick. So okay. one thing was how you actually get points, right? So oh, yes. that was yes, the yes, other yes, mechanic. Yes, yes, yes. How do you win? So, how do you right. Win? And so there is a victory track, and yep. to win is very clear. You have to move your token up on that victory track, and the way you do that is by scoring objectives. And there are public objectives and private objectives, or secret objectives. Yep. Um, and every, at the beginning of the game, everybody's given two secret objectives, and you can kind of pick one and hand the other back. But the public objectives are revealed every round. A new public objective is is revealed. And you can everybody can ex, can score one secret and one public objective in each round. Yep. Um, and it's not like the public objectives go away. So if you see one that's up there that you like, but you need a couple rounds to be able to get your stuff ready to score it, um, you can do that. Some of them are as simple as just, you know, spend eight resources. Um, right. Others are own three planets that provide a science resource. Yeah. Um, so stuff like that. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, you the win the game is to score objectives. So all this other stuff we're doing, all this 4X stuff we're doing, is just to put you in a position to be able to score objectives. That's right. That's yep. right. Yeah, and... Um, yeah, the the interesting thing is the secret objectives, you could only do a maximum of three throughout the game. Right, yeah. So it's not like you could just be, like, cranking those suckers out. Like, maybe you got a hot hand. You could only do three of them. So you did have to... You did have to play the public objective. I only played one secret objective, and the rest I got public objectives. Well, you got public objectives, and then you also got agenda points. Yes, that's true. An that's agenda true. point, yep. Yep. So, and I got uh, the strategic one for having Mechatrex Rex or whatever. Yep, Mechatrex called. Rex. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying it wrong. I know so you I got mean. you actually got two points that were not. Um, you got two points that were not specifically objective points. You That's got an agenda true. point and that special one. So yeah. there are other ways to potentially get them, but the main way is through objectives. Yep. So, all right. So what did you not like about this game? Is there anything you didn't like? <sighs> you know, I'm trying to think about that. Um, is there anything I didn't like? Yeah, I think um, I think there was. I And Justin, uh, Hinder, another buddy we have named Justin that was playing with us, we kind of talked a little bit about how while it made sense mechanically, balance-wise, why you you know if you activate if you activate a system to build ships, you can't move you know the ships out of that system at the same time. Mm-hmm. It did at times feel a little like I feel like you should be able to just move if that ship has just been sitting there and it hasn't been doing right. anything. If it, it hasn't, like should, if it didn't activate, right? Yeah, like you should be movement. able to just kind of move that ship. Right. Um, so there were there were little things like that that felt like uh, if I was going to look at this from like a story point of view, I should be able to do this. But mechanically, I could understand why. Yeah. Um, so it's I don't know. It's hard for me to think of um, of a con uh, associated with this game with just one play one time playthrough. I'll say even with the duration of the game, you know, we played for I think about seven and a half hours, uh, and we called it probably one to maybe two rounds early. I would have um, I would have won in the next round. Yeah. And, and well, the reason why is because I no I had chosen the speaker card. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you would have made it, given yourself the opportunity. Yeah. yeah well, exactly. Yeah. 
I like how you say that. You don't know what two object agendas would have come out. It could have been a minus point agendas. And we could That's have loaded true. a point off of you. So, but anyways, that's yeah. a good point. Yeah, it's yeah. true. It's true. Um, uh, my only my only complaint, and this is a light complaint, and I'm even revising it as I say it right now. Um, my only complaint is that the like the trade goods and the commodities felt a little weird sometimes. You know, like the only way to like get commodities was in that trade card. Yeah. And then to oh. trade those, you know. So I felt I like. Think, I think another yeah. weak point was the action cards. The um, you know, Justin, and it could have just been that we were just getting the, just getting unlucky, but we kept getting action cards that like were totally unapplicable to how we were playing yeah. the game. Now, and like we had, I got my max hand of cards that were all oh, combat cards, and okay. I wasn't even playing combat. That's interesting because, like, John was getting like three cards a turn. He he was getting you three know. cards a turn, and he was getting cards that were very applicable to what yeah. he was doing. Yeah. You know, I mean, when you get three cards a turn, you're maxing out in two turns essentially. It's true, you yeah. know, and he then, had lots of options. Then you're able to drop cards because you have to discard down to seven, right? You're able mm-hmm. to drop the ones that don't apply to you. So I think, um, and that was happening with um, Lincoln as well. So I will say, yeah, you I, know, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. I was going to say, say yeah. I had the, uh, <laughs> we're, for, we're for, no, 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 you. No, 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 for real, you. <laughs> okay. So I was just going to pull the thread through on the resources a little bit, like the commodities. I felt like the, the problem with the commodities is that if you didn't use them wise enough, like you really mm-hmm. had to know what you're doing with it. That was to me like, even though it was a simple mechanic that was expert level understanding of how to use the, the commodities more advanced, on the trade yeah. card because you you had to use it with partners who were going to immediately trade with you to get that benefit you know and if you didn't use it right then it was kind of a waste of a card and um so i don't know it you know would it be good if you got two trade goods i think i think you know, as I said, I'm kind of walking this back as I'm saying that it's sort of a con. The nice thing about it was that it did not; those trade goods did not dilute the power of the planets. Right. So the power of the planets, I thought, was key because that's really where the interactions between the players had to take place. You know, and in fact, you heard me several times saying, like, "Don't worry, I'm going to move out of that system, and that planet can be yours, buddy." You know, I said that to Sean a couple of times, and um. Or or used it as as a carrot for him, you know, like, yeah. hey, don't don't attack me. I'll move my stuff out. You can have it. It's not a big deal, yeah. you know. Or or have that wormhole. I don't care. It's good. You have it. Take it, you know. And um, being able to kind of do that was, you know, with your list of planets in front of you, like that, you know, that's where the power comes from. Is how many planets do you control? So I think that if you did too much with the trade goods, it would cheapen the value of the planets. Because you would just be able to supplement with trade goods all the time, yep. and it doesn't matter, you know. Right, and even with technology, um, if you have time, you can build your technology base up without getting planets that do those tech. Right. Um, because there are some technologies you can research without um, a, a specific science good or yep. science resource, and then those will provide science resources that you can use. So you can kind of you can slow grow your tech tree without expanding um if you want to play that way yeah yeah and if you yeah so i think you just made a really good point you know i think yeah they could have man maybe maybe when they were play testing the game maybe they there were more commodity abilities at commodities and they realized oh we're diluting the planets we need to bring yeah. this back yeah it's a good point so 
All right, let's talk about what we loved about this game, which, I mean, I, I have a hard time. Here, let, me, let me start with this. I love that we played two rounds. We started essentially at 10 o'clock because I was a little late, I admit. Um, we started essentially at 10 o'clock. We played two rounds, and someone was like, what time is it? They're like, oh, it's about 11.30. We looked down. No, it was 1.30. <laughs> yeah. and we're like what in the heck like all of us all of us were like that you know like we were so laser focused engaged yeah. on what was going on that the time just went by so fast and but at no point did i think like oh my gosh this is dragging on let me check my phone like i never did i never did that yeah you know and I that mean? happens with axes and allies oh yeah because the thing is is one person's taking their turn and you can just sit there and, you know, do yes and do nothing. Whereas here, everybody's engaged on everybody's turn. I, and I absolutely love that about the game because I mm-hmm. had to pay attention. Like, okay, he's playing the trade card. I need to use that one. Oh, he's playing the technology card. I need to use that one, yeah. you know, because I have a plan for this turn and I need to, you know. And, and, and the other thing, too, is, oh, we, we didn't really talk about this, but I do like this about the game. You had multiple actions that you could do on your turn. So you would take one action, it would go to the next person, next person, next person, next person, and come back around to you. You could take another action. You basically did that until you passed, right? Mm-hmm. And you didn't have to play your strategy card that lets you do XYZ strategy until the very end. And if somebody's re- like relying on that secondary strategy to use, that could really screw over their... Well, their, um, you know, their plan. Yeah, well, you had to... Here's the thing. There was a rule. It, it never came up because we, we never had to do it. You could not pass until you have at least played your strategy. True. Yeah, absolutely. So if you run out of if you run out of action tokens, then you are forced to take your strategy. Yep. So what I liked was this. is like, you know, I would get the military card, and I know that Justin was waiting for that sucker. I knew he was waiting for it. And he wanted it early because he wanted the free production thing. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yep. Um, that he could use and then be able to use some of his tokens elsewhere to, to do something. And I know he was waiting for it. So I would deliberately wait till the end after he had produced. Knowing that it would, you know, I mean, there's like a mini game. There's like mini mind games with that that I would do. But what was great is that you had to pay attention. You had to say like, okay. I can't do this action until that card's played, so let me think of something else I can do. Let me think of something yep. else I can do. Mm-hmm. You tried to delay it as much as you could. Sometimes it didn't work out, but um, there was definitely there was a. Str- I had I went into the each turn with a strategic plan, and then I was constantly updating the plan based on other people's decisions. You know, as I was going yeah. along, so that yeah. way I was I was focused like the entire round. I was focused on what was going on. Right. Very cool. I say one thing I really, really liked about this game was that it was, at the end of the day, it was objective point focused. Uh Um, I am typically not very good at these games because I get uh, games like this because I get so distracted on the engine building. Um, that I, so I miss. So you got to terraform Mars. Yeah, you got to terraforming <laughs> Mars, not just building a card deck next to your player board. Um, I get so distracted by all the fun mechanics and trying yeah. to make combos and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times I lose sight. Well, when we sat down to play this, I just said I'm gonna focus on that victory, victory chart. Yeah. And you know, like I, I did, I did not expand past the first 
first uh, first turn. Like I no, moved yeah. into I moved into two systems, grabbed some planet cards, and then I just hunkered down for the rest of the game, and I focused on objectives. Now I still made a bunch of mistakes. Yeah. Um, but uh, I focused on those objectives, and at the end of the game, you know, I was right up there in points with everybody else. Yeah. Just by focusing on the objectives, and I really liked that because um, it it made it very clear to see how am I going to win. How are other people going to win? And then when you look back at the game, you can say, all right, well, how, how is Justin going to get two more points? Right. It's going to be this way. And so the, then everyone would start negotiating and talking, well, how do we stop Justin from getting two more po- those right, two, right, two right. More points? You know? Yep. And that stuff. I really like I liked it. I love that the time went by so fast. Such a good sign if you can be so engaged uh, that the time just flies by and you don't even know it. It really, it really flew by. We played for eight hours, essentially. Yeah, and mm-hmm. yeah, maybe seven and a half or something like that. But we played, you know, and it's just like, what what happened to that time? Yeah. It was so crazy. My wife's like, "Oh, it was raining earlier." I'm like, "What?" Yeah, <laughs> right, <laughs> like, right. What happened? You yeah. Know? Uh, one thing I did love about this game is that none, and we kind of touched on this earlier, but no one mechanic was superior to the other. Yep, totally. And and I think that a lot of games that try to do this suffer from. There's like one thing that you can do, right? Like you mm-hmm. can tweak, you can you can find that min-max moment, and all of a sudden, like you can crush people with like military might because it's just so dominating over political stuff or yeah. technology mm-hmm. stuff, you know. And um, but this game had such a good bet. I kudos to the creators of this game. The balance here is to be like standing ovation applauded. You know, yeah. it's some of the best balance I've ever seen in, in gaming. Now, this is a game that has a history here, though, right? Like, so the first edition came out, I think, 1997. Yeah. And we're on fourth edition. Right. Uh, now, which came out in 2017. So, you know, you're looking at uh, 20 years between editions here. Right. So there, right. it's good, but there's, you know, there's a reason oh, why sure, this game sure, has sure. The, the maturity yeah. behind it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it was great. So, what did you what did you learn from your first playthrough? Um, well, I talked about one focus on objective. Focusing on objectives keeps you in the game. Uh-huh. You know, even if your even if your resource your uh, army is dwindling because somebody attacked one of your fronts, you can still be in the game and still be considered a threat because you're on that victory board. Mm-hmm. But I'll say this, <clears throat> and I think this is a reason why I. Uh, I think I could have been in the lead in contending for the lead is the secret objectives. I I just totally discounted them. I focused ah. I focused a couple rounds on building tech that I never used, and in those rounds, instead, if I had been focusing on kind of pulling new secret objective cards, then those could have been potential points for me right, to right, help right. advance me a little bit more. And I'll say that I did not play that very well either because. Um... A couple of times we didn't. Nobody chose the Imperium token yeah. because they weren't at Megatrex Rex or whatever, you know. Right. And um, they uh, they so they didn't pull that card. And the secondary of that is spend a you know spend a token and get a um, get, get a, a new, new secret, secret obje- objective. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So I only completed one secret objective. The rest. Yeah. Was I mean, public. John, who was falling way behind, he caught right back up there with us because he completed all three of his secret objectives. He just yeah. kept pulling them and finding out which ones he wanted to do. So that's something learned the next time. Yeah. Is to look, don't discount those. Um, I'll say I learned that expansion is not a hundred percent necessary. It's so tempting to try to build up a fleet and fly out into the galaxy. 
Yeah. But it's not, that's, that's not, besides getting to, we're totally butchering the name, right? The main planet. Yeah. And getting the point for getting that main planet and holding it. The objectives are, are achievable without expansion. Right. Um, and, uh, and the other thing is I'll say it's okay to pass and to save those tokens. Those tokens, yeah. those action tokens, those strategy tokens that allow you to take strategy actions and, and, uh, and uh, tactical actions, those are resources in themselves. And if you don't spend yep. them, you save them for the next round, which puts you in a better position to make more decisions. Yeah, and, and, and maybe it's something better too, right? Like maybe you use one token to um, you know, produce, but you need to produce again yeah and you know sure you could build that technology or you could do something else but really like why not just save it to the next round and then produce again yeah i'll know, tell you this uh it. one time a uh after the first like one two three four five i think after the first um uh public objectives are flipped over you get to like a tier two public objectives yeah and the first tier two public objective that flipped was you know at the end of the round basically spend six six yeah. six of those tokens and i was like I knew how immediately to get six tokens in the first turn. So the first turn came, I got my six tokens, and I passed right for the rest of the time. And and I was sitting there watching everybody play, and I realized, I was sitting there thinking, man, should I have passed? Should I pass? And I said, yeah, I should have passed. Because then that turn, I got two victory points. Two victory points, and that's what matters. Yeah, that's what matters. It doesn't matter if you got another dreadnought on the board, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, you got two victory points. That's what matters. Yeah, matter. so don't be afraid to pass. Yeah. yeah. That's good. That's good. One thing I learned um, is so out of the three things I learned, don't spread yourself out, mm -hmm. right? I think it's easy to string yourself out. And Lincoln kind of did this because he was trying to he was gunning for Megatrex Rex, and he he got the victory point for being there. Um, but I built up a little bit more slowly, and so in fact it was two turns after he got there. So he ended up getting a couple of victory points from just being on there, right? But yeah. I, I kind of bided my time, and I said, I'm going to take it slow. And then I walloped him hard. In fact, he saw me coming, and yeah. he moved out of there because he knew he was going to get wrecked. And then I put so many ships and fighters and guys on that planet, you know what I mean, that I basically held that for the rest of the game mm -hmm. um, yep. because there's nobody there. And You burrowed in. Yeah, and so I, I did that through a slow and steady building up um and movement rather than you know spreading yourself out conversely uh our friend justin i think he went pretty aggressive because his his army lent to being more warfare oriented and um i think he spread himself out a little bit and then exposed himself to a nasty counterpunch yeah i think he did yeah and that um the interesting thing though is this he was not out of the game no, he wasn't. But what he was it right did is, the... yeah, he was right there. But what it did do is it set him back probably two turns. Yeah, I think he, uh, I yes, I think that's exactly what happened. Was well, said we, at the end of the game, we were all kind of around the same area on that yeah. tracker. So it definitely felt like very bad. By the way, it's Mechatol Rex. Mechatol Rex. All right, thank you. Mechatol. Yep. All right, Mechatol Rex. But uh, Mechatol. yeah, so don't spread yourself out. Um, wheel and deal peace is better than war. Right. And I'm going to go, I'm going to go back to my economics professor in 2003 at BYU. He was on a panel and they were talking about the Iraq war. And one of the big arguments about going to war at BYU 
was we should go to war because it's good for the economy and we're sort of in a little bit of a, a economic slowdown. War is good for the economy. And this economist looks at him and goes, are you crazy? Like, it is never good for your economy to blow up your capital. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, and everyone's like, oh, yeah, okay, I guess so. <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, I, I thought about that. Actually, I thought about that literal quote when I'm looking at, you know, my ships. And I'm like, why would I want to go to war and blow up all this capital that I had? Like, I'll go to war if I have to. You know what I mean? I'll fight if I need to. But why provoke it if I don't need to when I could use the honey instead of the vinegar, you know, mm-hmm. to attract the flies? So, mm-hmm. yep. um, so, you know, wheel and deal, like put that carrot out there, put that carrot out there. And then, you know, as Teddy Roosevelt said, speak softly and carry a big stick, you know, because if they don't <laughs> want to wheel and deal, then you can wallop them if you need to. Yeah. If, if that if it aligns <laughs> with your objectives. Right. Um. And then my last one is focus, focus, focus. And and it was just like you were saying, focus on those objectives, focus on those objectives. Everything that you're doing should be to get victory points. Yep. You know, if you're thinking like, oh, cool, I want to build this tech. Oh, cool, I want these more ships. Oh, cool, I want a war sun. Nobody even got a war sun in our entire game, yeah. which is like the crazy cool like ship thing. I could have gotten one, but I was like, no, I need to focus on the victory points. Focus on those victory points because that's what wins you the game. Yep. You know, so. Fun game. Definitely worth it. Uh, out of 10, out of 10, what what score would you give it? Ooh. um, Man, probably, uh, you know, we've only played it once. Yeah. So I'm, I'm hovering somewhere between an 8 and a 9. I'm giving it a solid 9, if not like a 9.5. Yeah. It was a great. It was a great game. Uh, the time went by so fast. I, you know, the, the. I mean, the downside, which is not a downside, is that it just takes a long time to play. That you have yeah. to dedicate that much time to it. So that's the only reason I'm not giving it a ten. But you know, it's not a knock on the game. It's just you know, it is what it is with that game. Yeah, I think that this will definitely have a play in uh, GuildCon 2021. Oh yeah, that'd be great for sure. Yeah. That'd be fantastic. So. Good stuff, man. Great game. Yeah. Highly recommend you, it. Yeah, highly recommend. If you guys uh, check it out, I think our friend John got it off of Amazon for $110. I think it retails for about $150, $160, but you can find great deals on it. So go out, check it out. If you've got uh, you know three to five buddies who are into these types of games, it's a total recommend. Yeah. So. Good stuff. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody.